Welcome to the Amazing Truth Podcast, a podcast where we focus on real issues and have real talk, and as always, provide a biblical perspective. We hope that you will be blessed as you listen. Hello and welcome to the Amazing Truth Podcast. This is the Amazing Truth Minute. The Amazing Truth Podcast. Real issues, real talk. For the Amazing Truth Minute, uh, we'll focus on Psalms chapter 139, verse 7, 9 through 10. And it reads, where, where can I go from your spirit? Or where can I flee from your presence? If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there your hand shall lead me, and your right hand shall hold me. If you are walking through a dangerous or unfamiliar territory, you would prefer a guide to come along who is familiar with the terrain. A guide provides direction, informs you of potential dangers, and keeps you on the right track. The same is true in life. Regardless of where we, of where we go or what we do, we will never find ourselves outside the presence of God. David marveled at this truth. He said, where can I go from your spirit or where can I flee from your presence? You see, God is always with us and he longs to direct our steps. Yes, there are times where there seems to be no clear path, but the scriptures promise that God guides his people and when we get off track, he redirects our way. The psalmist wrote, The steps of a good man are ordered by the Lord and he delights in his way. Though he fall, he shall not be utterly cast down for the Lord upholds him with his hand. That's from Psalms 37, verse 23 and 24. And that is the Amazing Truth Minute. This is the Amazing Truth Podcast. The Amazing Truth Podcast. Listen to us on Spotify, Apple Podcast, Google Podcast, and Stitcher. Like us on Facebook at The Amazing Truth Podcast. The Amazing Truth Podcast. Real issues, real talk. All right. Welcome back. Welcome back. Welcome back, Dr. Karen. I, I was going to save that for for special introduction, but uh, <laughs> this is part two. So if you listen to part one, you don't need any special invitation, though. I mean, introduction, though, we'll do that. Uh, but our viewers, listeners, welcome back to our podcast today. As usual, my name is... Can I say that? Uh, <laughs> I, uh, alongside me is Ezra. And I'm here with Kenan. <laughs> we're excited today, today to be joined again with Dr. Karen. For those of you who are joining us the first time, she shared with us her, uh, on, on the topic of sexual trauma. She's currently practicing as a psychiatrist in uh, Massachusetts. And uh, she is one of the ladies that we have come to work closely together in terms of people who have reached out because of the stories that have been shared here people who are going through experiences and uh, we are delighted and excited that amazing truth podcast and beryllium you know psychiatry we've partnered together to provide services to anyone who listens to our podcast so today we won't be spending much time on the introduction we just want to jump di- right into our conversation today our conversation today is one that is hard yet important. Yep. A tough one that makes us uncomfortable sometimes, but it's necessary. You know, last time um, Dr. Karen said that we're going to have a good time in this conversation and we, we were wondering, <laughs> really? But indeed, it's a good time because our topic today, we are continuing with the to- uh, on the topic of sexual yeah. trauma. And as I, before you continue, I think it's important. You know, we, we say it's uncomfortable, but it's, un- it's uncomfortable in some circles, in some um, 
folks, mm-hmm. it's not uncomfortable for yes. us as immigrants, as people who've come from a different country, and these topics are not shared on the dinner table yes. and talk, talked freely. Uh-huh. It's uncomfortable. So that's why we wanted to talk about it. Uh-huh. So make it, uncomf- make it com- uncomfortable, but yet make it comfortable for someone who's going through it. Normalizing the realities yeah. of life, yeah. you know. And so this is our dining table. If you haven't had this conversation at your dining table, consider these your dining table yeah. as we have these important, hard, hard yet important conversation yeah. on sexual trauma. So, Kenan, yeah. last time Dr. Karen shared with us a little bit about sexual trauma, right? Yeah. Uh, do you remember anything from that podcast? Well, just she's the expert, so but I will just we'll, yeah. we'll massacre the definition. Exactly. Uh, so, sexual trauma, sexual trauma. Those are two words, mm-hmm. but these are traumatic sexual experience which are. Un- uncomfortable and painful experiences mm-hmm. when it comes to sex. Mm-hmm. Simple, straight, Simple, straight to, to the point. point. But the expert will tell us <laughs> more. <laughs> no, no pressure, no pressure, no. Dr. Karen. <laughs> but as we say that in our last podcast, Dr. Karen was walking us through uh, and she shared a little bit to, with us about her journey. Her mom was a nurse. You know, she grew up with a single uh, single mom. Her mom raised as a single mom. And so these conversations, you know, she had them from different perspectives. And so she kind of alluded the importance of us working together as a community in this conversation, right? So that we can have a clearer picture. And so uh, uh, that was just uh, that, that was just laying the foundation. So today, Dr. Karen, we dive right in. And the question is, have you experienced sexual trauma yourself? And if so, what was it? Feel free to introduce yourself, make a preamble introduction, then jump into that question as we get as we officially kick off this conversation. Good morning, Ezra and Keenan. Yes. It's so nice to be here again, yes. gentlemen. Uh-huh. Uh, so you want me to like introduce myself well, 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 and then jump into an incredibly difficult <laughs> yeah. I, was about, I was about to ask is that, that shouldn't be our leading question but oh, okay. hey, we, yeah, she, I mean we said tough questions <laughs> last yeah, time she, right she gave us the okay yes. and we've and we've prepped up for this and she so she knows we, it was it was not a surprise question we had a long time yeah. gaining the momentum the energy <laughs> to be candid yeah. <laughs> of this conversation so we do not but whichever to, way yeah, whichever we, way you want to take it and we don't want to minimize it well, yeah yeah, I don't think, um, I think people heard enough about who I am in the first uh, podcast. Yes. So why don't we just talk about the question? All right. It's an, it's an interesting question. Uh, the first memory I actually have of an uncomfortable sexual situation was actually not intended to be uncomfortable. Mm. Uh, I was probably eight years old Mm -hmm. and I was at home and my aunt and several of my cousins came to visit my home and I was lying on the floor uh, you know with my knee bent and you know I was a little girl in a house with only women So I had never thought about how I sat or anything except when we were at church, you know, at Mm -hmm. home you're comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then uh, I remember I was sitting and talking to my cousin on the floor and suddenly I felt a finger poke into my vagina. And I looked up to see my aunt telling me to close my legs. And it shocked me. I mean, when I say into my vagina, I was wearing underwear under my skirt. 
Um, but I have never forgotten the feeling of that. And I think that she was trying to make a point, which is sit properly. But while the point was made, the feeling of violation of someone touching a space where they really should not have touched has always stayed with me. In fact, as I recount the story, I feel it now mm. to this day, just this feeling of revulsion and violation that someone decided that this was okay to be in my space in this way. And so when, when we use the word uncomfortable, it actually deeply minimizes for women. And I'm sure for men too, but I'm a woman, so I have to speak from my perspective. It deeply minimizes what women experience with sexual trauma. It is a very, very, it's an almost indescribable feeling of violation. First of all, the, the vagina is incredibly sensitive. It's, an, it's a sensitive area. Um, there are something like tens of thousands of nerve endings coming to that part of the body. And so, and, and they're designed to stimulate in a certain way, in a way that is pleasurable, in a way that is beautiful, um, in a way that lets this person know that they are loved. And so anything outside of that for a woman really feels horrific. It's, it's worse than somebody grabbing your arm. It's worse than, you know, someone touching another part of your body because of the sensitivity of the area and because of what we, you know, I mean, we learn to associate it with love and sex, but even before we do that, I mean, a nine-year-old girl does not associate her vagina with sex at all, not at all. Um, we are at the age of nine, usually in what um, Eric, Eric Erickson, who sort of paralleled Freud when he talked about human development, describes as, as latency industry. We're not, you know, any sexual awareness that we might have had when we were little, three years old and four years old, is, is deeply hidden. So for me to remember distinctly the feeling of violation as a nine-year-old, not associating this with sex at all, gives you a glimpse into the way that women are violated when a sexual act is committed against them deliberately. The, the first time I had, I was actually sexually violated. This, uh, this was, um, I'm making a distinction between this and, and what my aunt did because her intent was not mm -hmm. the same. Mm -hmm. 
it ended up being a violation of me. But the first time there was intent to this was when I was 12 years old. And somewhere around the age of 11 or 12, many, many, many little girls are violated. It's probably one of the most frequent times that young girls are violated. And this happened when I was at the bus stop. There were, there were, sometimes the bus schedule is terrible. You, I don't know if this happens in Kenya. <laughs> well, there's no schedule in Kenya, so <laughs> we can relate. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, uh, <laughs> so we, we were supposed to have a schedule. Um, and we'd expect the buses to come. And when the buses were running frequently, it was great. When, uh, when there was a lot of traffic or whatever, they were incredibly, you know, it came when it came. So we would stand there sometimes for an hour waiting. Um, and a big crowd would form uh, at the bus stop, a huge crowd. And then when the bus finally came, there would be a lot of people sort of just pushing to get on the bus. And I was there uh, with my sister and my friend, uh, my neighbor actually, because we all went to the same school, we all walked to the bus together. And I suddenly felt this hand literally digging into my vagina. And I recalled the week before when a woman in the crowd had started screaming and saying, who is that touching me? Who is touching me? And literally a space cleared around her. She was older. She must have been in her 20s or 30s. And by that time had found her voice. Mm -hmm. And so she was able to advocate for herself. And I suspect it was the same perpetrator who did this. But those of us who were little girls, we we were not women. Um, Our sexuality had not really developed. I mean, when you're 12 years old, you, you know. You have a crush, mm-hmm. but you certainly, you know, have not developed in any way sexually. Um, we didn't have our voices. And so I froze and I tried desperately to look around me to try to figure out who this person was, trying to give myself some control over what was happening. And, you know, it kept going. And so I started pinching at the hand and it, it finally sort of released me. And I, I surged forward and then it came back again and I started pinching again. And that feeling again, I remember distinctly the feel of just, just terror and helplessness complete helplessness. I didn't know that this was a faceless finger violating me. And I spoke to no one about that for months until my neighbor brought it up when we were at home. In my mom's house, actually, it was me, my sister, who was four years younger than I, and my neighbor actually didn't bring it up for for years, a couple of years, because by that time, 
by the time we talked about it, I was 16 and my little sister was 12. And my neighbor was my age, she was 16 as well. And she started talking about how this had happened to her. And then I said, you know, that happened to me too. And then my little sister said, that happened to me too. And so this person was, 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 was a serial sexual predator yeah. who preyed on girls and women at the bus stop. And as far as I know, he was never caught. And that was the only discussion we had about it. Uh, how how <laughs> <laughs> no, we, we, it's 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 just listening to it is just it's horrific mm-hmm. i mean it's i can't and i'm placing myself again having a daughter mm-hmm. and just hearing that and not and her not sharing with me that because i want her to 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 share those experiences and i know it's hard so my my follow-up question would be how why how why was it hard for you to talk about it i know you were 12 year old but then um i guess you hadn't found your voice then but did you feel the urge to talk about it and to ask or tell someone about it and if not why because it was deeply shameful mm. It, it was intensely, these things are intensely private. Mm-hmm. And as, as children, we don't even know our own feelings. So you're struggling to understand why this felt so horrible. Mm-hmm. And having to disclose that to someone requires an, a great deal of trust. Mm-hmm. why I didn't speak to my mom, who had done what all good parents do and told me over and over, if anybody touches you, come and tell me. If anybody touches you, come and tell me. She said that, and like I I mentioned at the last podcast, she showed me all the different diagrams and and the whole deal. Mm -hmm. But I don't know necessarily from her, but from the society, I had gotten the message that if something like this happened, it was deeply shameful. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if in my head at that time, I had it crystallized there that it was somehow my fault that it happened, but I knew that in my head, it felt like it was my fault that I couldn't stop it. And I felt this mixture of fear and shame and indecision about my own capability as a person. Mm-hmm. And so all of these things, you know, I was supposed to be capable. I was the elder daughter. Um, I was working hard, studying hard. I was the one who, you know, my mom was relying on to kind of keep the keep things going um, in a in a situation that was tough for her. She was a single mom 
with two girls, and she was in her 30s. You know, she had me when she was 26, and my sister when she was 30. So she was in her 30s when, when or early, early 40s when this was happening to me. Um, it's not an easy position, and so it's like I have to hold up my mom. And so to, to, to break down these barriers, my own internal barriers, and then go to her and say, Mom, I failed to stop this from happening. It was, inc- it was overwhelming. Yeah. It was overwhelming. So, so Dr. Karen, um, first of all, thank you for thank you for sharing. It's 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 it's, it's a, this is one of the topics where we just don't know how to come back in, you know, because it's real. It's 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 it can cause trauma. You know, it's things that are still you you express them yourself. You say that even to date, you can remember your nine, you know, being nine and eight, and that feeling. It brings back a lot of emotions. You mentioned word. You mentioned words like terror, helplessness. You know, there's no face to these, to these, um, you know, person. You cannot put a face to this person. How uh, you you've brought us to the place and the time when you spoke to your mom. How did this affect you? You know, as now you're growing into a womanhood. You're becoming a woman. You know, you're getting into. Uh, cognitive awareness of getting into a relationship and things like those. How did that this play a role in your life? I was deeply confused about sex. Um, as I said last week, this started off with my mom trying to explain what sex was and mm-hmm. doing the best she could and then immediately instilling in me a sense that this was something to fear, that sex was something to fear. Mm -hmm. And that was followed by this experience at the bus stop, which increased my fear. But then as a normal teenager, I was also thinking, okay, if this is something to be afraid of, why then are people doing it and why is it presented as being so pleasurable? What is it about, uh, you know, sex? Why am I getting these confusing messages about it? So that was the first thing. The second thing was, this was Trinidad in the 1980s. It's an incredibly conservative country And if you have a sexual experience with a man, a boy, whatever, a teenager, the girls were taught that it was their fault. Um, The goal was to be a virgin until you were married. And whoever took your virginity was the person you were supposed to stay married to for the rest of your life. And so anything outside of that was wrong. Mm -hmm. Even if you were raped, Mm -hmm. even if it was a sexual act that you did not want. And so I remember thinking something is wrong here. Mm -hmm. It's, it's, you know, this thing is being presented in this really appealing way and on TV, you know, little kid 
little teenage girl shows with your first kiss and oh your first kiss and this is wonderful and yet on the other hand this thing is a horrible terrible thing that you know you're not supposed to engage in until you're married and then when you're married all of a sudden it's great yeah. none of it really made sense to me and so i was curious about it um yeah very curious because i couldn't figure it out right and it's 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 it's, a, it's an interesting perspective because some of us grew in a house where sex wasn't talked about mm-hmm. you know dating was shunned you know you're told you date after you're done with school so but then you go out there and you're trying to find that experience yourself so when you talk about confusion it makes sense because now you're you're told about this thing that is not talked about but then you go out there and you hear people talk about it and it's a good experience to them mm-hmm. and now you're here so that it's it's confusing so growing up and then so when for for us at least for me when you start dating when you get that age or you're starting to date you're dating because you're curious again mm-hmm. you're curious you want to you know you want to you want to you know kind of stop that confusion in your head so i i i want i want to want to ask is um how did your body react to this physically i know you talked about you you talked you said it it was your fault you know uh there was a, there was a confusion that came up but how did your body physically react to this if if there was any reaction to uh, the, the aftermath of uh, the 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 trauma I remember starting to put sex mentally into a box where I could not trust it mm. completely. And I remember even in my experiences because of course I had my first kiss and all of that. Um you know all through my teenage years having that question in my mind can i trust this and it caused me to not not form really good relationships right. with the teenage boys around me i had friends i have friends i have friends who you know we've been friends for a lifetime one of my friends curtis he's um he was born 2 weeks before i was you know and he's married and uh we have been friends for the past 48 years yeah. so i had very good male friends and and my friendship connections with men with teenage boys were very very strong the relationship like beyond that usually ended up being really bad um and i remember feeling like i was in kind of i remember superimposing like a fairy tale world on relationships and sex because i i read voraciously i read everything i possibly could and i formulated in my head this kind of i'm the princess and the prince is going to come save me and no teenage boy is capable of anything like that they're you know 
<laughs> so it was like, you know. <laughs> I mean, you know, maybe there is a teen. I don't know all the teenage boys in the world, so I can't say no teenage boy at all. But in general, yes. teenage boys, they're, they're, they're probably, Confused, you know, yeah. have this vague idea that they're they're supposed to be the prince but they can't achieve that mm-hmm. <laughs> in yeah. any real way so it just was a mess you know um and then i got to college and in college i felt like okay you know what i'm a little bit more mature and i kind of don't want to just jump straight into a relationship here mm-hmm. i would like to meet people and get to know them and go out and hang out and this is what you're supposed to do in college but again, unfortunately, I was in a college where <laughs> it was a Seventh-day Adventist college. Mm-hmm. And apparently, you didn't just you know, go out with different guys. That got you a certain reputation, uh-huh. even if it was just going out. And you know, if you went out with a guy, the expectation was that you were supposed to date. Mm. And so immediately, there was this pressure. And I pulled away from it. Mm. And... So what ended up happening was that I ended up kind of isolating myself on the campus Mm -hmm. from men who might have been interested in me because I didn't want, I wanted to figure this out without rushing immediately into a relationship with somebody I didn't know uh, or, you know, and it was just, it was not good. Mm -hmm. (laughs) It was really, really, really bad. Um, my, my body's response continued to be curiosity. My sexuality was developing. Um, I did, and to this day enjoy, uh, touching and cuddling. Um, but contextualizing that in, in a healthy way Mm -hmm. was not happening. It, it just, it absolutely was not happening. And this is one of the reasons I say, especially to Keenan, but to all the other <laughs> gentlemen and ladies out there who have children, when you talk to your children about sex, begin with the beauty. Mm. Because the message of beauty is never transmitted in all of this. Mm. You either get a message of lust, mm-hmm from the TV and and those, um, you know, media. Mm -hmm. You get a message of lust from there, and you get usually, unfortunately, a message of fear from the church. Mm -hmm. And so I did not have a sense of sex as a beautiful experience Mm -hmm. for most of my life. Wow. All right. <laughs> Kenan. It's, it's, it's good to see, to hear Dr. Karen from this school. We, yes. We, we, we meet her on a different perspective. Yeah, we usually, you know, this is a different level. <laughs> we have to readjust to this, but it's, it's all good. It's all good. <laughs> it's, it's important. It's important. Uh, I just want to, first of all, again, continue echoing and saying thank you. Thank you. Like, really, really, this is, this is an important topic. Uh, we, we bring it to 
to the to the audience whoever's going to listen to this not because we're experts or perfect but because we believe in shared experience we can learn and grow you know and help each other out so for those who are listening by the way i noticed that you know this if you feel uncomfortable there's rated words we're going to use it but they're scientific words so parents children be aware of that as we continue with this conversation i want to come back to you dr karen and and, and um highlight two things i'm hearing before i ask a question you you experience you, you're talking up you in, in the developmental stages you know uh where you you're seeing their your peers they seem to be enjoying life you know they seem to be you know media is putting this picture out but you also have your internal conflict based on the experiences that you have gone through and you've had for a young girl or a young man you know out there who's going through these experiences at that teenage age because there's also developing puberty there's adolescence there's that phase of life what can these do to such a young person and what would you advise them how to handle such kind of situations if yeah. they've been there yeah. so what can it do mm-hmm. i you know there are so many different ways that this, these kinds of things can affect young people I can say in my experience the first sexual encounter that I had where there was actually intercourse was for me it was date rape mm-hmm. and that crystallized in my mind for many years that I was not valuable to men unless there was a sexual act. Now, it's very interesting what happened after that because I did try to talk about it. Mm-hmm. And I I tried to talk about it with someone who's very 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 close to me. Um and I'm not going to say who that is because I certainly yeah. don't want yeah. to embarrass them yeah. on TV. But I remember that person saying to me, "Oh my gosh, Karen, now you're spoiled." Okay. And that I I cannot think of a worse thing to tell a young woman after date rape. She, I was 21 when this happened. and i took that to heart that i was spoiled um and um for women when when they experience rape they usually do one of two things 50% of of women withdraw um and the freezing piece of trauma kicks in really really strongly and so they withdraw they don't reach out they they feel disconnected um and they they're not able to form good relationships uh from for the other 50% usually they fight or they fight so women freeze or flee or they fight And so roughly around 50% of young women who experience that kind of sexual trauma they be they become promiscuous. They are trying to get control over their sexuality again. 
um, and they're trying to they're trying to master this this thing that dominated them. And so a lot of times when young women come to me who have been very sexually promiscuous, I look for trauma in their history. And so, I, you know, I kind of switched into the psychiatrist. No, that's okay. that, that's yeah. why and you're that's, here. And that's where we're going, actually. So you wear many hats. <laughs> yeah. yeah, I do. I do wear many hats. Yeah. But, you know, we're, we're talking about my experience. And this, this again, was, was a, an intensely painful experience. Um, and I remember, actually, only coming to terms with it really when I was in medical school. When I was in medical school, yeah. Um, and I was 28 years old. I just bought my first house. And it, it's really interesting how these things happen because, you know, on the one hand, it, there's this perfectly capable young woman who is living her life who has passed all of her exams, who, mm-hmm. you know, is in the, the MDPHD program. And then there's this person who is really, you know, torn apart inside over who she is uh, relative to other people, whether she's lovable. And I remember not... I remember getting into a very horrific relationship. It's actually this guy, he attacked me in my home. We ended up having to go to court. And when I came out of that, he was, he was arrested. It was, it was really bad. Um, and I'm trying to think of everything that I want to say here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Take you know? Time. When, when, you, when, you, when you are this broken, which I really was, um, you let, it's easy to let broken people into your life, really, really broken and damaging people. And so I had already before been in a domestic violence relationship where I was thrown against the wall and my you know, my face was was busted, and I fled. I actually said I gotta get out of Trinidad, and I came to the United States. But you you can flee the place, but you cannot flee yourself. Yeah. You know, and so you know, to a couple other toxic relationships, this situation happened, and I always you know had this thing where I was comparing myself to other women because when you are really down you you got to find some way to be up mm-hmm. and so i'd be like well at least i'm not the woman who stays in these relationships you can only hit me once it's like now i'm looking back and it's like golly that was a low bar mm-hmm. <laughs> you know it's like wow um you know, and after this happened, I just, I was so broken, I could not meet my own eyes in the mirror. 
And I remember one day saying to God, I, I, I'm not worth it. Like, none of this is worth it. I don't understand why you created me. I don't understand why I'm on this earth. You, you supposedly don't make mistakes, but I, I don't know. I don't see the point of this. I disagree with you having me mm -hmm. existing. I, I literally said that, you know. Um, and God insisted that I was going to stay alive. <laughs> you know, there's a lot more to this story, but he did in, in many, many ways. He saved me. Um, and perhaps we can talk about that in a different podcast. Yep. But he insisted, you know, Karen, you, you need to live because I know better than you do. Yep. And so I, I said, okay, God, I don't trust you because all these horrible things have happened, but I'm going to try. Yeah. And I remember forcing myself to stare myself in the mirror. Mm -hmm. And I was so dissociated, it felt to me like my face was just fractured like it, it was just in pieces mm -hmm. and I remember praying Lord you have to make me whole mm -hmm. and I remember like literally praying for God to bring the pieces of me back together again and for healing Wow. And wow. that is how that is how deeply women are affected by these things. It 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 leads. This is not. There is a reason that rape is an instrument of torture during war. The the sequelae can last for decades, and if the person is not treated. It can last for the rest of their life. Now, had I known then what I know now about the body, about trauma, about how it affects our immune system, how it affects us physically, how, you know, without good treatment, it goes on and on and on. It doesn't get better. Had I known that when I was 21, I would have found myself at a doctor's office at a psychiatrist's office at you know saying please help me because this happened and I now need to get better mm -hmm. but I didn't know all I knew was that I had been spoiled mm -hmm. and <laughs> and that is one of the reasons I do the work that I do because ignorance is not bliss I vehemently disagree with that. And giving women back their power to recover from these kinds of experiences is very, it's deeply important to me. You know, it is one of the reasons I think, not necessarily that God put me on this earth because I don't think God wishes any horrible thing on any of us, mm -hmm. but he created me to be someone who adapts yeah. and who can find a way out. Yeah. 
Mm-hmm. And so I am using the gift that he gives me to bolster other women mm-hmm. who have gone through these kinds of experiences. And I can say now, it doesn't matter if, if you were gang raped, it doesn't matter what your experience was to the women out there. First of all, you are a beautiful child of God and there is nothing any person on this earth can do to spoil you because God created you in his image. Mm -hmm. Secondly, because you are that child of God, get yourself the help you need. Wow. (laughs) Dr. Karen, I want to... Do uh, read some statistics. I think it's important to know the severity, especially here in America, the severity of how sexual violence affects people. So, from the National Security Assault, National Sexual Assault Hotline, it says um, sexual violence every 68 seconds an American is sexually assaulted, and then it says younger people are the highest are at the highest risk of sexual violence. Fifteen uh, percent. Age 12 to 17, 15% of young, young girls, young people experience sexual violence. From 18 to 34, it's 54%. And that's where I think where, you know, that, uh, the trape comes mm-hmm. in and all those, those other things. And it goes down to 28% from ages 35 to 64. And then 65 plus is 3%. But then ages, this is what struck me, is that ages 12 to 34 are at the highest risk of are the, are the highest risk years of rape and sexual assault. So mm-hmm. then it goes back to, and again it says, one of one out of every six American women has been a victim, the victim of an attempted or completed rape in her lifetime. One out of every six. Just think about that. Let that sink in. One out of every six. So count six women, one of them. And then it, I just want to go back to... And that to, is... Yeah. Yeah, and that is rape. That's rape, yeah. Specifically rape. Mm. The, the statistics are much higher for violations of other kinds. Yes, yes. And then you boil it's down... One, one out of two, yeah. one out of three. Yeah. Mm, yeah. So and I, I want to... You mentioned a few, a few things here that uh, when you started dating, and these are not questions, these are just comments. When, yeah. you, when, you, when you started dating... You know, you had these experiences, or maybe someone wanted to ask you out, but then you pulled you pulled away from it so you can figure yourself out. And then listening to you, it you you go to med school. Years later is when you think you get a handle on it, but then not as as much. But then you you talk to God, so you're still trying to figure yourself out. Mm-hmm. But you you know it's it's confusing. Um, mm-hmm. A question I have for you though is: Do people really come to terms with it? With, with with sexual trauma, do, you said you know you you came to terms with, but do you and how does how does that look like? Do when people when you say people come to terms with it, what does that look like in your own experience? So that's a, that's a really interesting question. Um, coming to terms with sexual trauma for me was was really multiphasic. I, because I did not appreciate the depths of how injured I had been until I got married, actually. When I, when I married, 
at the at the time my former husband was you know I trust I trusted him because he wanted me enough to marry me um and so I said to myself okay maybe I can you know put down that and I had a very hard time doing that I had a very hard time um and it, it wasn't that I didn't enjoy sex I did but the n reconciling the notion of sex with somebody who I trusted it was very fragmented for me and so sex was not a safe place for me. And so thinking of him as a safe place made it so that I didn't want to, you know, perform the act of sex with him. And I, I didn't tell him that. I didn't reject his advances because in my mind it was like, this is my husband, and therefore, you know, I got to figure this out myself. And so, again, internally didn't understand any of this. Felt like I, I was really sort of lost with what, you know, like, why am I feeling this way towards my husband? Why, why is this happening with this person who I trust? Until I realized... You know, if you have come from a place of terror and you run towards someone safe, the last thing that you want to do is go back into an arena that is terrifying. Mm -hmm. And so I had to come to terms with that and I had to, you know, get my own therapy and start talking through my feelings around this and how discordant it was to try to have sex in a safe place. And the beauty of sex was something that I had to learn. Like I literally had to reconstruct all of my perceptions mm -hmm. of the sexual act. And that was not easy. That, that was very, very hard. And that was part of the, of the recovery for me. That was part of, of I'm, I'm sorry, I'm, you, you use this particular expression you, when you ask the question. Okay. And I'm not remembering it now. Um, but that was part of the journey um, to, to my healing was learning, literally having to learn in my 30s to see sex as something safe. Wow. Again, again, every time there's a lot of things going through my mind right now as we process these. Um, and, and thank you. <laughs> I, don't, I think this is one of the podcasts that I keep on saying thank you because it's, it's necessary for us as a people, as human beings, regardless of your culture, regardless of your faith, regardless of your, you know, your lenses through which uh, you see life, 
you, we, we ought to see a human being first for who they are, you know, and we are all imperfect beings trying to live, trying to make it perfect in our own way. Now, having said that, you, you've mentioned, you've mentioned, um, uh, uh, you know, your, your relationships that you've been, you know, or been engaged in. How do two people start discussing through this hard topic? Because uh, I want to assume that you coming in, you're already coming in broken, if I can borrow your language, mm-hmm. and now you're coming into someone who does not know this whole story about you, was not part of this journey, you know, uh, and they're seeing things from different perspectives. How do you start engaging that conversation uh, to support, and, and what does support for each other look like? And then lastly, how do we frame sex as a positive thing for a parent who's listening and who has young kids right now because that framing from a young stage can influence you know all you all the way to your marriage uh, or relationship so you're asking how you start talking about it yes mm-hmm. you know Sometimes you just have to say, I want to bring up something. It's incredibly uncomfortable, but we need to talk about it. You're talking about in a relationship. Yes. Right? Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to say that. Sometimes people are not aware. And for the men out there um, who are seeking to be married or who are married to a woman who has experienced sexual trauma. She may not understand in herself her own responses. She may not understand why, you know, sometimes she just doesn't want to be touched. Um, Because a lot of women do not do not they, they there's this sort of persistent idea you're that we are spoiled that we did something wrong there's a persistent guilt there's a persistent you know stress and so it she is probably not relaxed enough to actually figure out well hey what's going on with me and so if you will find that you're you're stalling whenever you start to talk about this i would suggest you get a third party like a disinterested like couples therapist or somebody to help you talk about it um with talking to children children see what you do first if If you are affectionate in your marriage, if you are performing a beautiful act that is loving and safe within your marriage, your children are going to see that first. And they will respond. Now, their response might be, ew, mommy and daddy are kissing. <laughs> but that's a good jump off point to start a talk. Yeah, mommy and daddy are kissing. What do you think of that? Ew, that's gross. Well, maybe it's gross to you, but it's not gross to us. You know, 
it is and it's a good point of starting to cultivate a conversation with your kids some of us you know those of us who are single parents we don't have that opportunity and so finding places in the church where there are couples who are having sex within like sort of a beautiful emotional space and you know being there on sabbath for lunch you know and seeing them interact in that way is a beautiful thing for our kids you know letting your kids have the conversation because then they get to see it isn't always isolating it isn't always that you end up by yourself sometimes you can end up in a really great relationship um we we shy away from the beauty of this conversation with our kids way too much and i think we do it out of the fear that if we say to them this is beautiful they'll say oh wow yes of course it's beautiful i want to experience exactly. it yeah. and they're going to go <laughs> <laughs> and be yeah. promiscuous it's, it's it's actually the opposite right because this beauty is contextual mm. it's beautiful because we are married because we are you know we are devoted to each other because god is the center of our relationship because we have this communication and this connection those are all the things that make sex beautiful and outside of that you start to go downhill so if you sort of just go off and have sex with the first person you know you're attracted to you're not going to get the beauty we have you're going to get something inferior mm -hmm. i wow. think is we yeah. have to wrap, wrap, have up, to wrap so it up i'm going to do my final thoughts and then convey mm -hmm. <laughs> it to you and then Dr. Karen. I just want to, you've, you've mentioned uh, the beauty of sex. Uh -huh. and I think that there's some things here I want to highlight. It says, like, difficulties with intimacy after sex, after sexual trauma are very common. And then mm -hmm. healthy sex, so I'm going to call it beautiful sex, and sexual trauma are very different. You know, so if someone tells you, oh, this is, it's, it's beautiful, you have to know how to differentiate that. Beauty, the beauty of sex or healthy sex involves respect, equal control, and safety for everyone. Healthy sex, beauty sex is, beautiful sex is pleasurable, enjoyable, and satisfying. And then take your time to be patient and kind to yourself. Communicate with and involve your partner. And there are people, people in books and websites that can assist, and it is possible. Uh, possible to achieve a positive sex life after a painful experience. And before I let Ezra talk, uh, I think we, we have to take this to the next, the next oh, yeah. level. Okay. Oh, yeah, so definitely. I think we not uh, talk about this, the practical steps. Yeah. So I think on the next episode, we'll talk about uh, you know, professional help. How can someone get professional help? What some of the treatments that you've incorporated in your professional role? Mm -hmm. And then Ezra, for this for you, how does faith... <laughs> The faith, how does faith, the f a faith-based approach yeah, in addressing sure. these things, yeah. you know, in that, in that second. And then how does someone know if they need help? Mm -hmm. You know, you figured it out after 30 years that you needed to, 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 to figure it out. Mm -hmm. And then when someone talks to you about it, how am I supposed to react? Okay. If someone says, I've experienced this, how do I react to that? So those are some of the things 
we'll talk about it in the next episode <laughs> thank you kenan for sounding like a philosopher with those points that you've given <laughs> i really do appreciate <laughs> that again on a, on a lighter note we just want to oh, yeah. celebrate all the women out there celebrate all the men out there realize that you may be in the struggle but hang in there you know it's not the end of the world this is a beautiful thing if handled the right way uh, but until then hang in there help is on the way help is on the way as you hang in there i want to close by saying this again thank you dr karen you've already alluded and highlighted where we're going to go next so i'm going to say this to all our listeners we continue to partner with Beryllium Psychiatric Services uh, i hear at amazing truth uh, uh, ministries uh, we you know podcast but we amazing truth ministries we are now in partnership with Beryllium Psychiatric Services and and if you need help please reach out to us and we'll get you in contact with this uh, beautiful uh, 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 partnership that we have so that you can get help. If you come through Amazing Truth Ministries, you get a 40% discount, meaning that you can get help on your way in context. And we thank you, Dr. Karen, because you're not only talking from a professional perspective, but you're also your personal experience. You're talking about both, you're wearing both hats. We have limited slots because, you know, of our abil- capabilities and abilities right now. But, Quick fast, run to our page, like, subscribe, send us a message so that we can start getting some of this help your way. Dr. Karen, give us the closing and parting shots on your end. Closing and parting shots. There's there's no um there's no injury that God cannot heal. Um and God wants you. You are here for a reason. And no matter what you've gone through, God is fighting to keep you alive because he has something for you to do. So whatever it is that has happened, it's tough, but you have a heavenly father who placed love and sex on this earth and in your life. And he knows the thoughts he has towards you. He wants to give you an expected end. Those are my closing thoughts. All right. Beautiful closing thoughts, Kenan. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Karen. Thank you, Dr. Karen. We can't say thank you enough, but we thank you for the courage. You know, people might think you're a professional. It's easy for you. You've known this, but not. It's, 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 we thank you for the courage to share this. And someone will, will be blessed and someone will get help, the help they need. Ezra, thank you so much for all our listeners, our viewers. Like, subscribe. That has been our time. Don't forget to like, subscribe, but tune in for the next one. Yeah. Because it's yeah. going to be building on this. But until then, that has been our time here at Amazing Truth Ministries. Thank you for listening to this episode of the Amazing Truth Podcast. We hope you were blessed as you listen. Don't forget to share, like, and subscribe. God bless you and see you on the next one.